In our message time this morning, like Teresa sang, we invite Jesus right on, King Jesus, right on through our message today. And so uh, we've been looking the last two weeks at the Beatitudes, at this work that Jesus does in and through us to give us a different heart, a different character, a different spirit that is incredibly countercultural if we will embrace him and embrace it. And the fruit of this is the kind of people that God wants us to be and that Jesus says God really expects us to be. And so that's where we take a look next at Matthew 5, 13, where Jesus' sermon to us continues as he continues to speak into our lives as his followers. This is what he shares. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, help me lift you up. Because, Lord, I know the closer we can get to you and your Father and the Spirit, uh, the more we will be the salt and light that you call us to and expect of us. So, Lord, help us in this journey. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I wrestled with how to begin the message today at... And I think I want to start with a question. The question that I begin with is if we were to ask in a poll, and it's been done actually, what people in the United States think about Christians and Christianity and the church and all those kind of things, what do you think the answer would be? Well, Lifeway did it several years ago. And one of the main things that Christians are known for today is we're known for our politics, our political stances, the things we value, uh, where we emphasize, who we want to vote for. More than anything else, that's what we're known for. And if we're not known for that, then kind of the second category that we're often known for is kind of our hypocrisy and our own moral brokenness especially when we see leaders in our uh, churches who uh, have been examples, positive examples, then uh, find out that they've had an affair or uh, that they've been uh, ruthless with their staff or uh, they've embezzled money. Uh, we find out very quickly how humbling that unfaithfulness is. And then a third thing we're often known for is we're known kind of for our institution of the church. And our culture as a whole, you know, is, is very, uh, well, sees institutions very negatively, right? 
I mean, so when it looks at us as an institution, it may more see the, the divisions that we're struggling with in United Methodism. It sees in perhaps the Southern Baptist Convention the struggles with, uh, with abuse and uh, racism. In the Catholic Church, we see, again, examples of abuse with children and other troubles. So much of the brokenness, and instead, not seeing that this isn't about institutions. It's about being a Christian community, a community of love, a community of forgiveness, a community where we encourage each other to get closer to Jesus and be our best. And so, if this is what our nation knows us for, how can we change the narrative? How can we change the story? Because when Jesus gathered his disciples around and taught them who they were to be and how they were to live and what their lives were supposed to look like in their neighborhoods and their families and in their communities, it wasn't any of that, right? It wasn't any of that. And instead, Jesus tells us who we are and who we are to be. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And it's not really you could be or you might be. It's this is who you are. This is who you will be. You will be a kind of people that can help the world in its brokenness find flavor, find health, encounter the light. And so this morning we want to look and just encourage one another once again of who we really are and who we are to be and to make that the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing is so important in this day, in this age, for such a time as this, as Esther goes. We need to remember that we are more than anything else, salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. I want you to find a neighbor around it and tell them that. Remind them of who they are. Say it with me. You are... Oh, you can do better than that. Find a neighbor. You are the salt of the earth. Now, when Jesus tells us this, he does warn us, doesn't he? That part of being salty is on us. We determine how salty we are or aren't. And so one of his challenges in this is, listen, you're to bring flavor to this world. You're to preserve it and to, to keep things healthier and wholer and, and more sane and, and, and good and right and true. That's, that's your, who you are as people. And so, don't lose your saltiness. That's his warning, right? Stay salty. Don't lose your salt. Because if you lose your saltiness, then, well, you're not good for anything. You're good to be walked on. That's about it. You're good to be smushed into the ground. That's about all. So keep your saltiness and don't let it fade. 
Our society, our world needs salty people. Our politics need salty, genuine, genuine salty people. Um, to kind of give us a reminder of this, I, I looked for help from Dennis Kinlaw, who uh, is one of the great preachers, Methodist preachers of the 20th century. I got to hear him in seminary several times, and uh, I was like, Lord, help me be half the preacher he is. He talks about this text and, and has these comments about it, which I think are insightful. He says, What Western Christianity needs first and foremost is not more Christians. We don't need more Christians. But what we need is for Christians to be much more Christian than they are. I have thought about Jesus' words directing his followers to be the salt of the earth. Christians are to be a positive influence in society, driving back corruption, bringing cleanliness where pollution exists. Christians are to add the flavor and zest of life for which all society seeks diligently and fruitlessly. Saltiness is not a quality that you and I can control, keep, or dispense. Rather, it is a direct result of living in intimacy with God. I've never met a person whose life was a rebuke to me who was walking at a distance from God. Let me say that again. I have never met a person whose life was a rebuke to me who was walking at a distance from God. The people whose lives have challenged and excited and rebuked me have been those who have dwelt in intimate fellowship with God. Our world does not need to hear more people talk about God or even about Jesus if those people do not have a lifestyle that reinforces every word they utter. The interesting thing is that the closer we walk in intimacy with God, the less we have to say. Our very lives become a bold and beautiful testimony to the purity, the freedom, and the beauty of the Lord Jesus. I think Dr. Kinlaw gets it right. See, one of the reasons he shares that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world right here, right now, is because he's already shown us the way. He's already shown us what our character is to look like. He's already shown us how our relationships are to function. We're to be poor in spirit. We're to mourn. We're to be meek. We're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're to be merciful to others. We're to be pure in heart. We're to be peacemakers. We're, we're to be faithful to, to seek and do the right and righteous thing no matter what. He has shown us and says, this is what a, a salt of the earth people look like. And as Dennis Kinlaw shares, the way that that happens is, is through intimacy with God. And I kind of wrestled with this earlier. I'm like, Jesus, where, where are you coming with this? Uh, how, how are you connecting this together? I mean, is this something we're just to do? You know, we're just to try hard with our human effort to be this and do this? But I think Kinlaw is right. It's, it's not about that. It's about, it's about getting close to Jesus and getting close to God. I mean, notice, notice in the 11th verse again, uh, just a few verses from last week, 
Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of why? Because of me. That's a key that I missed earlier on. I didn't really catch it until last night. Jesus is kind of the only teacher I know of who says, listen, come and follow me. Be my disciples. Come and, and identify your life more fully with me. Surrender more fully to me. Uh, make my life and who I am and how I act and how I treat others, make that who you are. Do, if, if you'll just try to reorient your whole nature as much as you can, and none of us are ever perfect at that, but as much as we humanly can, if we can, if we can just stay deeply oriented to Jesus, then we will be salt and we will be light. And like D Dennis Kinlaw says, it's not a matter of trying, we just, we will be. Because we'll look more and more like Jesus. And so you are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't, don't lose your flavor. Stay close to Jesus. And so my one question to you this morning is, how are you doing at staying in an intimate relationship with Jesus and the living God. How are you doing? What obstacles are keeping you at a distance? Because that distance, that distance affects us and who we are. That distance affects how well we can love our families. It affects how well we can be a good coworker or a good classmate or a good friend or a good spouse. It all matters. You can be salt. You are salt. But it takes the path of intimacy with God to do so. And only you can follow that path. I can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Only you can take the path. But you are the salt of the earth. Second thing we see, though, is in addition to that, you are the light of the world. So again, turn to your neighbor and encourage them this morning, remind them this morning, say, you are, you are the light of the world. When you put a city on a mountain, you can see it from miles around. You know, I remember as a kid, um, my grandparents would go to a Methodist retreat every fall in the hills of Tennessee. And uh, this place, it's called Bersheba Springs. Had anybody heard of Bersheba Springs? Oh, well, I get, actually one or two. It's on top of a hill. And if you were approaching at night, you know, you'd be able to see the little hotel up on the hill. And you get to the bottom of the, the mountain and they had a rope that go all the way down from the hotel down to the bottom and you could, my granny would always tell me, you could ring the bell so that by the time you got up to the top of the mountain, they'd have supper ready for you. It's a pretty good deal. They always had, I always liked their food. It was, you know, it wasn't normal camp food. It was like good home cooking. Um, you are the light of the world. You don't hide a city on a hill. You see it for miles around. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. 
Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light so everyone in the house can see. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and not glorify you, but realize those deeds, they're related to the one who made them, to your Father in heaven. And so, you, brothers and sisters, you are the light of the world. You can be lights that shine brightly and help other people who are in darkness begin to connect with light in a way that's deep and life-transforming. And brothers and sisters, our nation, our world, we, we need it deeply. There are a lot of broken people. There are a lot, you know, just every night we look at the news, we see angry people and people filled with hatred and, you know, an, another shooting of a family of five all because they told a guy who was next door who was shooting his gun in his backyard, please, can you stop shooting? We're trying to let our baby sleep. He got mad and came over and shot up the house. You know, the, the sin of Cain continues to be an epidemic in our day and our age. The sin of Cain is, is that we let our brokenness and our anger and our bitterness cloud, cloud our moral compass so deeply that, uh, that we lash out. And only light can pierce that darkness. Only light can drive it away. Only God's love. And so we are to be that people of light. What keeps us from being a people of light? I think oftentimes it's fear, right? They say, you know, the standard at work is don't say anything about religion, don't say anything about politics. But y'all, there are moments in our work where we need to be willing to stand up for Jesus and to love people in Jesus' name and to be there for people in Jesus' name so that when they ask, hey, why are you helping me in this tough time? We can say, well, I'm helping you because I'm a child of God and this is what God calls me to be and do. And you are a child of God too and uh, we invite you to follow Jesus. Just in the little things, we can transform and be a part of changing the world. Um, I love how J.R.R. Tolkien says it in his book, The Hobbit. He has a little quote. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's from Gandalf. But in The Hobbit, he, you know, the wise sayings of Gandalf, here we go. Some believe it is only great power that can hold evil in check. I mean, today we might say some people believe it is only a certain political party that we believe in can hold evil in check. But Tolkien goes on and says, but that's not what I've found. Instead, it is the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folks that keep the darkness at bay. It's the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folks that keep the darkness at bay. You are the light of the world. So live it, be it out. I give thanks in my life that I've had uh, so many along the way be a light of encouragement to me. It started probably most of all with my grandparents, my granny and granddaddy, Puckett. Um, they took me to church every Sunday when my parents, we'd go Easter and Christmas, and that was about it. 
But when I was with Granny and Granddaddy, they'd make me go anyway. And when I didn't like camp at all, it's Granny that said, you got to go to this camp. I'm not giving up till you go. I finally, in eighth grade, I said, okay, I'll go. What's the big deal? Well, it's a week that changed my life. I remember a fellow like Adolfo, who was one of the counselors there, and Tim Tinkle and others who uh, would come alongside me as a college guy to look up to and say, you know, give Jesus your life, get to know him, and, uh, and he'll forgive you of your sin, he'll make life better. And I took him up on it. I think of folks like an uh, early youth pastor, Earl Parker, who had gone to Emory as a seminary student and worked full-time as a youth pastor for us and headed back down to Florida to be a, a, a member of the Florida Conference down there. And, and his discipleship and shaping and encouragement at an important time in my high school as a young Christian. Um, I think of so many other folks. I, I think of my father-in-law, Walter Chandler, and just, uh, just moments that I'd have conversations about him about well, I'm looking at being ordained in the Methodist church and I'm wrestling with a couple of these things. What do you think? And I'd bounce those off of him and he'd say, well, Chris, if I was you, this is, this, this is how I'd approach it. And I still remember those conversations. But both men and women, I think of uh, Andrea's roommate, Teresa Granat, who was a college roommate with her. She played basketball at Georgia Tech, but you could see from her life, it just kind of glowed, Right? You knew she was close to the heart of God. We still are friends today. You still know she's close to the heart of God. These kind of folks have been salt for me, been light for me. And you've been salt for people. You've been light for people. And if not as much as you could be, then what can you do different tomorrow? To grow closer to Jesus. To say, Lord, I see every day this world needs salt and light i'm not there yet i know i'm not i know i'm probably part of the problem more than part of the solution so lord whatever it needs to happen in my heart and life i want to be closer to you so i can be part of the solution so that i can live a life of significance so that when i go to the grave that my kids and my family and my grandkids can know my granddad or my granny, they were someone who loved Jesus and followed Jesus and, and were merciful and gracious in Jesus no matter what. Because um, your light makes a difference in small ways and big ways. I'll, I'll close with one more story. A uh, story of this, uh, this man's life to share about today. His, his name's Al-Fadi. Al Al-Fadi. If you think he sounds like he's from the Middle East, he is. He grew up in Saudi Arabia in a Muslim family, in a zealous Muslim family in Saudi Arabia. By the time he was 12, he says he could quote literally half the Quran. I mean, he was intimate with Allah. But as he grew up, uh, he, in fact, he wanted to go um, to war in Afghanistan with Osama bin Laden not against the U.S., but against uh, Russia in the early days in Afghanistan. And his mom talked him out of it. His mom said, no, no, don't do that. I want you to be around a while. He says, but mom, I can go, and if I die there, you know, I'll have a privileged place in paradise. His mom said, no, 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 I think you ought to stay home. So he stayed home, and he became an engineer. 
And in his engineering, he eventually had the opportunity to get more schooling here in the United States. And he was nervous about coming to the U.S. because he knew the U.S. was filled with all these Christian people and he didn't know about Christian. You know, I don't know. They don't know how to follow Allah like us. We're a whole lot better than them. And so he came here to the U.S. And as he came to the U.S., very quickly, he wanted to work more on his English, to work more on learning more about American culture. And so he got connected with a school ministry called International Friendship Program. And he didn't know at the time it was through a Christian ministry. So this young couple called him a couple of weeks later and said, hey, we're your family. We want to get to know you. We want to be friends. Come over and you know, hang out with us. And so he began to hang out with this young family and spend time with them and, and get to learn about American culture and practice his English and all he had to do. And, and when in November came around, they invited him to Thanksgiving. I'm sure he'd never experienced an American Thanksgiving in his life. But as he looked at their life, as he looked at how welcoming they were and how much they loved him and how much they supported him, his, like his jaw dropped. He was like, I didn't think Christians were like this. And this is what he says. He says, this family had never shared the gospel with me, but they'd shown me what the gospel looks like. And on that day, I walked out of their home with great doubts about my faith and its teachings. So I vowed that I would do research on Christianity, hoping to learn more about how Jesus could make such a profound difference in someone's life, offering the kind of peace and joy I had never seen before. They were salt of the earth. A few years later, he's now in an engineering firm. And once again in his engineering firm, he makes some engineering friends and one of these friends, again, invites him, you know, come over, spend time with us, hang out with our family. And finally, he just, he, he came over for Christmas dinner, and, and again, it was the same picture he got of the earlier family. And so he says, at this point, I couldn't hold back my curiosity any longer. I asked him, why are you so different from those around you? He told me, well, I'm a born-again Christian. He shared his testimony in Jesus. And once again, he was gripped with the desire to know more about Jesus. From that moment forward, he started going to church, which he never dreamed of. And within about six months, he began following Jesus himself. He now runs a ministry called Sira International, which is a ministry to help the church share their faith with Muslims more effectively. He also teaches at Arizona Christian University. His life was changed by folks like all of us, just folks being salt and light. And so I want to challenge you today, how can you be salt and light? Well, look around your neighborhood. Who do you not know around your neighborhood? Maybe who around your neighborhood doesn't look quite like you or maybe be a different ethnicity than you or maybe even a different religion than you. If they're in your neighborhood, that's a great opportunity to be salt and light. Just go stop by and visit with them one evening on a walk and get to know them and be friends a little bit and maybe invite them over for dinner sometime or maybe let them invite you over for dinner and just respectfully be friends. 
and see where the Lord takes it. That's all it takes to be salt and light, and to be difference makers in the earth. Um, so this is who God calls us to be today. And so I, I want to challenge us, remember who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If we will be faithful in that, if we will, may the Lord bless us, and as we get to work that we're known for that, people will begin to glorify not us, but our Father in heaven. And we, we will see our world change. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.